you have our Bible, or if you have a Bible or electronic device that you like to read along or follow along, then you can turn to Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 11 is what we're going to look at this weekend. And so I've entitled this, mes- this message, Membership Has Its Privileges. Now, if you're old as, as, as I am, then you probably remember the really, really old American Express commercial uh, many, many years ago, and their tagline, their slogan was, Membership Has Its Privileges. That if you have an American Express card and you're part of the American Express family, then because of that, guess what? You get special privileges that other people don't have. Now, we may not understand that with so much with American Express, but, but maybe we could exp- understand it this way. If you, if you have a Sam's Club membership, right? Membership has its privileges. That little card, that little card will get you access into Sam's, right? So that you can buy bulk stuff really cheap, and you can just get tons of stuff and wait in long lines and some of those other things. And so, but membership, that wasn't a criticism, by the way. I don't even know where that came from. Uh, Maybe it was Thursday. It was Thursday. But anyway, I need to move on. And so, uh, but membership has its privilege. Maybe you have a Costco card, and then you can go up to the Springs, and guess what? Because you have a Costco card, that card gets you access, and membership has its privileges. That if someone doesn't have a Costco card or a Sam's card, then guess what? They don't get the same privileges as you do. I am told that you can even get a membership to a gym, and a gym membership has its benefits or privileges. I have no understanding of that. I don't even know what the, how that could even like benefit you. I have never, I have, I've just never participated in that. Actually, one time, this, this is just for free, but actually one time I did go to a gym with like a friend. A friend invited me, and, uh, and he wanted to do cardio. And they put the cardio machines up on the second floor, and I refused to walk the stairs. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Who would put cardio anyway? I get it. Maybe you don't. <laughs> so the point is this. Membership, membership has its privileges. And the same is true in the body of Christ. The same is true. There's benefits that we have. There's benefits that you have. There's benefits that I have for being a Christian, for being a believer, for being in the body of Christ. See, being a Christian has some benefits and some privilege. One of those things is this, is we can take communion. Because communion is reserved for believers because it reminds us, the bread and the juice reminds us of the privilege. It reminds us of the benefits that we have in Christ, that we're deeply loved in him. We're totally and completely forgiven. Uh, we are, we're fully pleasing to him. We're, we're not lacking anything. We have, the same, we, we, have, we have the righteousness of Christ. In other words, right standing with him. So some of the privileges that we're going to talk about this morning is this, is that we have peace with God. We have hope in God. And then we have eternal security. And so because of that, we realize, and listen, this is, a, this is like a lifelong journey for me. Maybe you've achieved this already, but I have to remind myself all the time, my value is not in my performance. My value is in Christ. So many times we get that confused. And so many times we think my value is what people say about me. My value is my my performance, how well I work, how well I perform. My value is in that. But guess what? One of the privileges of being a member of the body of Christ, being in Christ, is guess what? My value is not determined by my, my, my performance. My value is determined by Christ. By Christ. And that's a lifelong journey. That's one of the reasons we take communion. Because we remind ourselves, I am not enough, but guess what? He is enough. And I am in the body of Christ, and as a result of that, I am in right standing with God. I'm in right standing with Him. Now listen, our, our verse for 2023 that we're aligning everything with uh, is just simply this. Jesus just makes this, 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 this call, and so the words aren't going to come up on the screen, but here's what it, He said. He says, come to me. Come to me, all ye 
All of you. Or as we'd say in Texas, come to me, y'all. Who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. That's not only a word for our, our church. That's not only a word for our community. That is a word for the time and the season in which we live. I don't know if you realize this or not. I, I, just put, I, just, I just figured this out like yesterday. Next month, February, will be the three-year anniversary of entering into a pandemic. And we can look back over the last 30 years. It feels like 30 years. We can look back over the last three years, right? And we can see the devastation, the destruction of the mental health of men and women and boys and girls. You can talk to any mental health pro professional, and they will talk, you about, talk to you about the statistics of what's going on in our country, of what's going on in our times, of just how it devastated the mental health of people, of anxiety, of depression, of sadness, of discouragement, of fear, and all of these other things. And so what a word for us. Come to me. Just come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. If, and then he goes on and says, take up, take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is light. And so Jesus told us and he told his followers, he says, come to me. And that personal pronoun, me, is like very important because, because if you and I aren't careful, we'll run to everything else to try to find rest for our souls, right? We'll run to people. We'll run to experts. We'll, we'll run to the signs of the times. We'll run to a government. We'll run to a politician. We'll run to all kinds of things. We'll even run to like social media trying to give us like that rest for our souls. But Jesus says, guess what? I'm the only one. Just, just come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest for your souls. And so that's, that's the promise. And then he gives us instructions of how to do that. And he says, take up my yoke. In other words, come to the place you just give him control. Just give him control. It's not just coming to him. Proximity to Jesus doesn't, act, doesn't automatically change you. You can't come to him and just keep doing life the way you've always done it. You come to him and guess what? You say, I'll give you control. I'll give you control in my life. I will make you Lord of my life or so understand that you're sovereign. And then he says, learn from me. And that's just discipleship. That's getting into the word. That's why the men's breakfast coming up Saturday is so important to me as we join together as men. And we just learn about how to like read scripture, how to meditate on scripture. And you're going to hear from some of the men in our church. I'm not teaching it. I'm actually coming to learn. And so Jesus gives us this promise about, about what it means to come to him. But membership has its privileges. So three things before we take communion together uh, this morning. The first benefit, the first privilege that we have is we have peace with God. Is that we have peace with God. And look at this. It's an important verse. And so Romans is what we're in. And Romans is heavy, heavy theology. And maybe that's just what we need. Maybe we need to just, just learn some things from a theological perspective. And, and so Romans is like that theological work. It's, it's just doctrine. And so verse 1, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look at this word justified or justified, justified by faith, there is a complete doctrine of Scripture written off of this, and it means justification. And justification simply means this, that I am totally forgiven and I'm fully pleasing to God. Do you realize this morning one of the benefits, 
One of the benefits of being a believer, one of the privileges of being a believer, because membership has its privileges, that in Christ, guess what? You are totally and completely forgiven. You are fully pleasing to God. I don't care about the week you just had. I don't care about some of the decisions you just made. I don't care about some of the things you walked through. I am telling you, justification, justification, that you are, you, are, you are totally and completely forgiven by God. And guess what? You are fully pleasing to him. In other words, we have peace with God. The war is over. There is no more struggle. God is not mad at me. I am not mad at God. I'm not in rebellion. We're not fighting against each other. We have come to this place that we're in harmony. And the amazing thing is that God absolutely, listen, you just need to hear this this morning. God absolutely holds nothing against you anymore. If you are a believer, we have perfect peace. We are totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved by him. We are perfect and complete and lacking nothing. And guess what? This isn't based upon your performance. This isn't based upon your ability to be able to jump through some religious hoops and do some things. This is based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. Because this issue of mem membership has its privileges. And I'm just here to tell you the reason that Jesus told us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. I will give you peace, in other words. Jesus is trying to help us understand that the only lasting peace comes through the Prince of Peace. The only lasting peace that you will ever have, the only lasting peace that I will ever have, is only going to come through the Prince of Peace, only going to come through him. And listen, we have direct access to, look at, to him. Look at this, Romans chapter 5, verse 2. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now listen, in the Greek, this word access is just like, it's like critical to, this, to understanding this verse. In, in the English language, it's just like one little word, access. But in the Greek language, it's this large word. It's a compound word. And it means to bring forward. It, means, it, means, it literally means to bring forward. Access is when one person brings another two people together. And so it was used whenever, whenever one person would bring another person in the presence of a third party. It was historically, and in history, this word has been used, which refers to having a, an audience with a king. So the Romans, who, who this letter was written to in Rome, they, they got this. They understood this. Very few people were ever going to have an audience with Caesar. Very few people were ever going to have a, con a conversation with Caesar. And the only way that you got before Caesar was to be able to have someone that could bring you forward, that someone had access to the palace or someone that had access to Caesar. And then that person could bring you forward. See, the Romans, when they read this, they understood access. They understood, and they understand access and, res and, and result to God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's kind of crazy. When you look at the Old Testament, or you realize the Gentiles did not have access with God. I mean, do you realize that? You can go to Jerusalem now. We're going in 57, 56 days. I'll be back in Jerusalem again. And when you go to Jerusalem, you can go to the temple where they worshiped. And around the temple, and the wall is still there, there's this, this ginormous wall. And one of the reasons that wall was there was to what? Keep the Gentiles out. Gentiles did not have access to God. They were seen as unclean by the people. If a Gentile got, got in, they would immediately be killed because they didn't have access to God. Let's go a little bit deeper. I 
don't know if you know this, but the Jew did not have access to God in the Old Testament. In the temple, when you go to, when you go to Jerusalem, there's three rooms. There's three rooms in you, the outer courts, and you make your way all the way into what is called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where God reside, uh, was, and there was a veil. Remember this? There was a veil that separated God from man. And only once a year, the priest would go behind the curtain into the presence of God on behalf of the people. But the Jew, the Jew did not have access to God. But when Jesus Christ came, and he was crucified, and he was buried on the third day rose again um, it, it broke that barrier fact is at the crucifixion the, the veil was torn remember that top to bottom showing that we now have access to God look at this Luke chapter 23 44 it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light fell the curtain of the sanctuary so that's what I'm talking about this is the veil that separated God from man the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last, his last. And so when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn top to bottom. And because of that, the, the barrier was broken, which tells us, what, right, that now then you have, you have access to God. The Gentile had access to God, which is us, most of us. The, 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 the Jew had access to God. Everybody has access to God. Guess what? You don't have to go through somebody else to get to God. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a church. You don't have to go to find someone that's like more spiritual than you. you. Everyone has direct access to God. One of the benefits, one of the privileges of being a believer is guess what? You have 24 access to, to, to God. Listen, I can have a Sam's card or a Costco card or a gym membership or something like that, and I never, I never... I never appreciate, never enjoy the benefits because I never pull the Sam's card out of my pocket and go down to Sam's and show it so I can get in, right? And you can be a believer and you can come to the place to where you no longer enjoy the privileges that you have of membership because you come to that place to where you, you don't access it and you don't go to God and you don't approach him. Here's the crazy thing in the Bible. When you look at the Bible, you realize that guess what? God spoke to men. And God spoke to women just through his word, and as he does today. And God spoke to, the, to, to people in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament in some dramatic ways. And they lived in a world without, without Netflix and, and without Snapchat and without Instagram and Elon Musk's, Musk's Twitter and, and Facebook and, and some of those other things. And so I just wonder, I just wonder, is the reason that we can't hear from God like, like, like people once could? is we are so busy scrolling. We're so busy looking at a screen. We're, so, we're, no longer, we're no longer present where we are. We're no longer looking someone in the eyes. We're no longer, there's no such thing as silence and solitude. There's no such thing as like reading Scripture and reflecting on Scripture. Because if we have a moment, we're, we're like scrolling. I've seen this. Have you not seen this? It, like if you wait in line at Sam's or Walmart or somewhere else, and especially when you look at the younger generation, everybody's doing this, right? You know, I'll tell you a funny story. A, a few weeks ago, I was invited with a, a man to, for coffee. And so I, I go to this coffee shop here in Pueblo. And as I'm, as I'm walking in, um, there's, there's a, a table of young people. And there are I mean, 10 or 15 of them. And they're in a circle, and they're, they're, all, they're all looking down. I, I thought they were praying. I mean, I thought, oh, my word, they're praying, because I, I actually have a practice that whenever I'm out in public, and I don't do this every time, but, but I do this a large percentage of the time, 
If I look over and I see a, a, a couple that pray before their food or a family that prays together before their food, I will, not to be creepy or anything, I will get up and I'll walk over to their table and say, hey, I'm Charlie, I'm a pastor in town. I just want to know, I want you to know how it encourages me to see believers that are not embarrassed about their faith, that they're still willing to pray in public. And I just want you to know, it, I just want you to know what that does to me. And I turn around and walk off. So I thought, hey, I'll do this to these young people. And so I, I walk over there and, you know, they weren't praying. You know what they were doing? They were scrolling. They were just, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I decided, I'm gonna, I, I came over here to introduce myself. I'm going to introduce myself anyway. And so I said, hey, I'm Charlie. I'm a pastor in town. And I'm just over here to let you know that, you know what, what are you guys doing? Are you like texting to each other? Because I need to let you know you could look up and talk with each other. And none of them thought it was funny. None of them. They, they, they didn't even appreciate it. I mean, they didn't even appreciate it. I'm like, really? That was a word from the Lord for you. And so, uh, so I'm telling you, some of the reason I really believe what, what we've done, we're no longer coming to him because maybe we're so busy scrolling. Maybe we're so busy trying to check out and like numb ourselves with social media or dumb cat videos or something. I don't know. I don't know. But when you look at this, you realize Jesus says, come to me. Because he is the one. Listen, he is the one that has given us access to the Father. You know, if you, if you needed something that sounds right, and you didn't have a Sam's card, and it was just like a one-time purchase, you know what? Guess what? I could give you access to Sam's. I could give you access. You could go with me, and I could show my card. See, this is what Jesus does for us with the Father. Jesus gives us access. See, this is one of the reasons we take communion and we take of the bread and we take of the juice to re-realize and remember he is enough. He is enough. And because of his sacrifice, guess what? I am justified and I am totally and completely forgiven and I am fully pleasing to the Father. And because of that, I have access. Look at this. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, I, I've thought about this a lot this last week when I looked at this. And I think if I was Satan, I would convince the church and I would convince Christians and I would co convince our country that prayer absolutely does not work. God will not help you in your time of need. Prayer doesn't work. Spending time with God doesn't work. I would, I would try to convince the church and I would try to convince Christians that this issue of prayer, that God no longer does miracles, that was for then, for then and this is now, not for now. And God doesn't help you in your time of need. God doesn't answer prayer. Oh, and I would also convince Christians that guess what? That Bible, it's corrupt. You can't trust it. Don't read it. It will not help you. It has nothing to offer you. See, if you and I aren't careful, we will come to the place as believers that we can get so discouraged that we never enjoy the benefits or the privileges that are offered to us being members of the body of Christ. Here's the second thing. We have hope. We not only, we not only come to this, this, this place where, where, we, where we understand that we have peace with God, but we have hope. Listen, if you don't have peace with God, you'll never have hope. I mean, the two go hand in hand. 
And so when you look at this, verse 2 again, he says, We also obtain access through, through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So when you just take the word hope and you, you like define it out like in the Greek or in the Old Testament language, you realize this word hope simply means confidence. It's to have confidence. In other words, hope means that when I go through difficulty, when I go through hard times, when I go through, through um, challenging seasons, when I hit valleys of life, guess what? It's going to work out. I have confidence. I, I have hope. I mean, psychologists and counselors will tell you that hope is essential for living. When people lose hope, they've lost everything, right? I mean, you, you and I know one of, the re, one of the ways we can tell when we've lost hope is when you come to the place and believe, you know what, my life is not going to be any better next week than it is this week. It's not going to be any better next month than it is this month. It's not going to be any better next year than it is this year. That you know what? I am stuck in this valley. I am stuck in this mess. And that's when you know that you've lost hope. And what psychologists and counselors teach us is this you cannot live without hope. That's one of the things that they're studying, they're looking at right now as we come out of a pandemic the number of young people and the number of adults that have that just lost hope, have just lost hope. I mean, counselors and, and mental health professionals will tell you that they can't see all the people that are calling. Uh, and, I mean, there's wait list states that have gotten so concerned about the mental health uh, condition of, uh, of their state have started these, these three-digit numbers like, like, like you can dial instead of 911, you can dial a three-digit number and you'll get a mental health professional on the line. They've been overwhelmed with so many calls that they can't even get to everybody. And when you look at this issue of hope, because doctors will tell you, doctors will tell you that people who have surgeries or go through illnesses, those that continue to have hope heal better, heal faster, return to a healthy lifestyle quicker than someone that's lost hope. In other words, Christians, we should have hope. The opposite of hope is pessimism. I mean, a, a pessimistic Christian is one that says, you know what, I don't have hope. I don't think it's all going to work out. I'm, I'm not confident it's going to work out. I don't believe God's sovereign. I don't believe God's in control. And so, but God says, his word says, rejoice in hope. The, re, the word rejoice means to boast. And so Christians should be the most hopeful people on the planet. And so you look at this phrase. It's an interesting phrase. He says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what is this? What, what is the glory of God? What does it mean to hope in the glory of God? Because that's like some, some, some Bible language that we may not understand. To hope in the glory of God is what? When, you, when you, you, you can actually reflect the glory of God. You know how you reflect the glory of God? When you reflect his character and his purpose. When we hope in the glory of God, we're hoping in his character and we're hoping in his in his purpose. One of my favorite verses in Scripture um, is when Jesus comes back. Look at this. Here's what it says, Colossians 3, 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Scripture says in the last days, when Jesus Christ comes back, do you realize we're going to appear with him? And we're going to share in God's glory. We're going to reflect the, his glory. And we have hope that, listen, even when we're walking through a mess, even when we're thought, walking through difficulty, that I'm totally and completely forgiven. I am deeply loved by him. Paul goes on in verse 3 that says, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that our afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces 
hope. <laughs> when I read this, it's like, well, it's one thing to rejoice in, in, in hope, but suffering? This is one of the benefits that you may have never thought of of the Christian life. The Scripture says that suffering has a benefit for the believer. For the non-believer, no benefit. For the believer, suffering has great benefit for the believer. In other words, our problems take on a new purpose. Our problems can take on a new purpose. That God is working even when we don't understand that he's working. And when Paul says, your suffering produces perseverance, produces character, and produces hope. Have you ever realized this? One of the ways that we get hope is going through the valleys of life and realizing when we look back, guess what? God was with us. Guess what? God took care of us. Guess what? Prayer really does work. Reading his word really does work. And God took care of me through the valley. I thought I was going to be in the valley for the rest of my life. But God did something in the midst of that. Verse 3 again, he says, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. And so I think, just real quickly, one of the greatest heresies of Christianity is this misunderstanding between in and because. We, we rejoice in suffering, not because of suffering. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, not because of everything give thanks. To thank God for evil is an insult to God, to the nature of God. It's attributing evil to, to, uh, to, to God. And God never tells us to thank God for evil. And so we rejoice in suffering. We rejoice that, guess what, even in the valley, even in suffering, God has a reason behind it. God has a purpose for it in my life. Verse 3 goes on and says, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces uh, proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope, listen, look at this. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. And so we rejoice that, guess what? I may not understand it, and I may not feel it at, the point, at this point, but God, God has a purpose. I mean, we've walked through, my family, we've walked through a lot of valleys this last five years. And my hope in God is greater now than it was five years ago. Because God was with me in the valley. And I can tell you prayer works. I can tell you spending time with him works. When you look at this word affliction and, and suffering, it literally means pressure. It really means distress. It really means difficulty. In Luke 18.1, Jesus said this. He said he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and do not give up. If we pray, if we connect with him, we will not give up. The third and the last thing is, is this. We have eternal security. We, we not only have peace with God, but, but we have hope and we have eternal security. And... Um, Sometimes it's, it's, it's going through problems in life that gives us that hope. Because guess what? If we never went through any problems in life, we wouldn't know that we can trust him. And we wouldn't know that he can answer our prayers. But he also says that we have eternal security. Verse 7, it says, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then? Since we have now been justified, there's that word again, and justified by his blood. We're going to come back to that. But, but since we've been justified by his blood, we'll be saved through him from wrath. For if, 
while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the, the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. So what he's saying is, is you, you have to put your hope in something that you can trust. You ever, have you ever put your hope in something that has ended up disappointing you? Whether you put your hope in, in, a, in a company, whether you put your hope in a politician, whether you put your hope in a government, whether you put your hope in, a, in an individual, and they disappointed you and you're ashamed and you're embarrassed that you ever placed your hope in them. And so what, what, what God is telling us and what Paul is telling us, that we need to, we need to put our hope in something that we can trust because, because it is possible to put your hope in the wrong thing to where, where you're disappointed and where you're, you're embarrassed. But when we put our hope in God, what he says, we will, we will never be embarrassed because we can count on That's why he says, come to me and just come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I, and I will give you rest because I am humble and lowly of heart. Just take my yoke. Take my yoke. Give me control of that situation. Understand I am with you. Learn from me. Just discipleship. Learn from me. And guess what? I just won't give you rest. I just won't give you a good eight-hour sleep. I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll give you rest for your souls that no one else can give you and that you, could, you can trust him. And so you look at the proof of God's love in verse 6 and 8, and he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want, if you want proof that God loves you this morning, you look at the cross. If you want proof, that's one of the powerful things about communion. Because when we hold that bread and we hold that juice, we're looking at proof that God loves you. It symbolically represents his body and his blood that was shed for you, that was given for you. And so if you need a little bit of proof this morning, if you've had one of those weeks, if you're in a valley, if you're going through some difficulty and you're wondering whether God loves me or not because of the circumstances, I am here to tell you God loves you. And all you have to do is look at the cross. And all you have to do when we take communion in just a few minutes, you're going to be reminded of his love for you. And, and so there's, there's some people, right? There's some people who tell you, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. Well, the Bible absolutely does not say that. Fact is, the Bible says the opposite. God says, I help the helpless. I help those who can't help themselves. Verse 6, while we were still sinners. Verse 8, um, while, we, while we were still helpless. Verse 10, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And once, once, listen, just real quickly, once you become a believer, you cannot become an unbeliever. Once you are saved, once you are his, there is nothing you can do to get out of the family. When you look at this phrase that we will be saved, he's talking about present or past, present, and future tense. That he saved you now, he's continuing to save you, and he will save you. He will save you in the future. And so when you look at this, you realize that, guess what? Your, your, your eternal security is secure. He is the one that is keeping it for you. You're not working your way to heaven. You're not trying to do more good stuff than bad stuff. Membership has its privileges. Membership, listen, if you, can, if you can work your way to heaven, then you can unwork your way to heaven, right? But grace is this. Forgiveness is this. 
that we go to heaven not based upon our performance because of his. And that when we are in the body, we're in the body. And so when you look at this, you realize that you are totally and completely forgiven and you're deeply loved by him. Let me ask you a question. We'll take communion in just a few minutes. If Jesus' blood, because it says you're justified by faith by his blood, by the sprinkling of his blood on the cross, by the sprinkling of his blood on your hearts, what Paul says, that takes away guilt and shame and a guilty conscience, that you're totally and completely forgiven. Well, listen, if, if Jesus' blood is so great, then why do we spend so much time beating ourselves up over the things that we've done in the past? How often in our minds do we replay those highlight reels of our past, of our sins, what we did, what we did not do, what we haven't done, what we should have done, and we take ourselves and we beat ourselves up that, over that over and over and over. And what Paul is saying, don't forget about the blood. Don't forget about this privilege of being a believer. That you're totally and completely forgiven. You are pleasing to God. These, these mental health people, they, they did this survey just real recently coming out of the pandemic. They took two groups of people. And they said, we want to help you. They were struggling. We want to help you. And so, but we want to do it. We want to do a study. Would you participate in the study? And they, they said, yes. They took one group of people. They said, every day we want you to write in your journal everything that's gone wrong, everything that you did wrong this day, and we want you to journal that. And then to another group of people, they says, all we want you to do is just give gratitude for one thing every day. Just write it in a journal. Would you do that? One thing that I'm grateful to, for. After 30 days of doing this, they got the group back together. They did some studies, and you know what they found? They found that the group that focused on everything that went wrong in their life were not better. They were worse. They were deeper into depression. They were deeper with anxiety. They struggled more. But the people that were able to give gratitude, you know what they found? Just writing down one, one thing to be grateful for, that they were better, that they were better. One thing that communion does for us, it gets our mind and our focus off of ourselves onto the one who died for us. He is enough. He is enough.